1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is sponsored by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with the Squarespace website. Go to squarespace.com and set your website apart.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. So this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast about chaos theory. Like, a, <laughs> uh, Have you ever seen Event Horizon? Uh, I did. Not bad. Great movie. Are you crazy? I don't think it was great. Oh, it's so imaginative. I thought it was okay. It was uh, like a Lovecraftian thing in outer space. Yeah. Loved it. It was all right. I Lovecrafted it. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> um, that's what I think of when I think of chaos. You know, there's that one part where they kind of give you like a glimpse behind like the dimension that this action is taking place in. Yeah. To see the chaos underneath. And oh, you're I should like, check that out again. Yeah. I think I've, you should.
0: I think about uh, Jurassic Park and Jeff Goldblum <laughs> as as the creep, <laughs> Dr. Malcolm explaining chaos yeah. in... The uh the little auto driving uh SUV or whatever that was right yeah
1: that's what it was called in the script the auto driving SUV scene
0: yeah and you know what I actually rewatched that scene and it confirmed two things one is that he uh, he actually did a pretty decent job for a Hollywood movie of uh-huh. a very rudimentary explanation of chaos yeah um and oh you also... watched it for this yeah oh, okay yeah just that scene yeah and then it also confirmed of what a creep that character was yeah. If you watch that scene, he's like, you know, he was all gross and flirty with her right, right in front of her ex. Right. But there's this, you know, he's talking to her. I didn't even notice this at first. He like, he just like touches her hair out of nowhere for no reason. <laughs> really? He's just talking to her and he just like grabs her hair and touches it. Huh. And I'm like, what a creep. I know. If you look closely, you can see the
1: hormones emerging through his chest hair.
0: Yeah. It's grody. And I love Jeff Goldblum. It's not a reflection on him. Uh, He was basically doing Jeff Goldblum. Well, that's what he... Yeah, sure. He's Jeff Goldblum. But I don't think... That's how... In the manner in which he speaks, but I don't think he's a creep. Do you?
1: Wow. I've got nothing against Jeff
0: Goldblum. okay.
1: I think he's a... I think he's doing Jeff Goldblum.
0: It was also a sign of the times. Like, if that movie were made today, Dr... uh, What was her name in the movie? Ellie Uh, Sattler, I think. Yeah, Dr. Sattler would be like... Uh, it's very inappropriate to stroke my hair, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't touch me. Right. But this was the 90s. Or was yeah, it the it 90s. Was freewheeling. Or was it eight? No, it was 90s. It was the,
1: the early mid 90s, I think. Yeah. 92, 93, 94. The book came out in 1990. And in the book, uh, Ian Malcolm, who's a chaotician. Yeah, a creep chaotician. Right. He, um, he He goes into even more depth about chaos oh, theory. I'm sure. but that was i mean that was the first time I ever heard of chaos theory was from Jurassic Park yeah me too probably and um it really it was really misleading. I think the entire term chaos is very misleading as far as the general public goes as from what I researched in this this for this article
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you hear the word chaos uh, as a English speaker and you think frenetic and crazy.
1: Out of control.
0: Yeah, and that's not what it means in terms of, of science like this.
1: Right. It, what it means, I guess we can say up front, is, is basically the idea that complex systems do not behave in very neat ways that we can easily grasp, understand, or measure.
0: Right. And not even even simple systems don't sometimes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be complex. But um, I want to give a shout out in addition to our own article. Ooh. To, uh, when, you know, when it comes to stuff like this, the brain-breaking stuff for me.
1: Man, this is a brain-breaker.
0: Uh, you know how I always go to, like, blank, blank for kids? Right. Because it always helps. <laughs> if there's a
1: dinosaur mascot on the page, uh-huh. it's a sure thing we can understand it.
0: Uh, but the the best explanation for all this stuff that I found on the Internet was from a website called uh, Abarim, A-B-A-R-I-M Publications, which turns out to be a website about biblical patterns mm-hmm. and sandwiched in the middle. There is a really great, easy to understand uh, series of pages on chaos. Theory. Nice. So I was like, man, I get it now. My, I mean, in a rudimentary way.
1: Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think even a lot of people who deal with systems that display chaotic behavior, which I guess is to say basically all systems eventually sure. under the right conditions. Yeah. Um, don't necessarily understand chaos.
0: Yeah, and they define a complex system as specifically, it doesn't mean just like, oh, it's complex. (laughs) I mean, it is. Right. But specifically, um, they define it in a way that helped me understand. It's a system that has so much motion, so many elements that are in motion. Moving parts. Yeah, that it takes like a computer to calculate all the possibilities of like what that could look like five minutes from now, ten years from now. Right. Uh, So before... Computers came around, we, before the quantum mechanical revolution, it was, it was a lot more basic. It was like, what comes up must come down, stuff yeah. like that.
1: Let's talk about that, Chuckers, because when you're talking about chaos theory, it helps to understand how it revolutionized the universe by getting a, a clear picture of how we understood the universe leading up to the discovery of chaos, right? Yeah. So, prior to the, um, The scientific revolution, everybody was like, "Oh well, it's it's God. The Earth is at the center of the universe, and God is spinning everything around like a top." Right? Yeah. It was all a theistic explanation. Then the scientific revolution happens, and people start applying things like math and making like mathematical discoveries and 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 figuring out that there are there's order. They're finding order in patterns and predictability to the universe. Yeah. If you can apply mathematics
0: to it. Yeah, Specifically, if you can apply mathematics to the starting point.
1: Right. Right. So if you can, if you can, um, figure out how a system works, mathematically speaking, right? Yeah. You can go in and plug in whatever coordinates you want to. Yeah. And watch it go. You can predict what, what the outcome's going to be. And what this is, is that it's based on what at the time was a totally revolutionary idea. Um, by uh, initially I think Descartes was the first one to kind of say, uh cause and effect is a pretty big part of our universe, right?
0: Yeah, it was sort of like where this is the sixteen hundreds where early science met philosophy. Right. They kind of uh complemented one another as far as something that's we're we're talking about determinism.
1: Right. So that was the, the kind of the seeds of determinism was the scientific revolution and, and like you said where philosophy and science came together in the form of Descartes, right? Yeah. And then Newton came along and we did a whole episode on him.
0: Yeah, January of this year. That was a good one. It was really good.
1: Like I think you said in that episode that there's possibly no scientist that's changed the world more than Newton has.
0: Maybe. He's he's got legs. People shouted out others in email, but um I'll I'll just Say he's at the near the top. For sure. With some other people. The cream. Yeah. So Newton came along (laughs) and Newton said That was his name, Isaac the Cream (laughs) Newton. Right. I think. (laughs) And anytime he dunked, he'd be like, Cream. Yeah. You just got creamed. Oh, I thought he was a boxer. He's a basketball player. Uh
1: he was much more well known as a boxer, but he definitely could dunk as a as a b baller. Yeah. (laughs) So um man, that threw me off a little bit. That's right. The cream. Yeah, the cream comes along. And uh, he basically says, watch this, dudes, this cause and effect thing you're talking about, I can express it in quantifiable terms. And he comes up with all of these great laws yeah. and, and basically sets the stage, the foundation for science for the next three centuries or so.
0: Yeah, these, these laws that were so rock solid and powerful that scientists kind of got ahead of themselves a little and said, we're done. Like done. With, with Newton's laws, we can predict... Uh, we can predict everything if we have a, a good enough beginning, accurate value right. to plug into his equations. Yep. And they weren't. I think there was a little hubris and a little yeah. just excitement about like, well, we figured it all out,
1: right? That that you could take Newton's laws and if you had accurate enough measurements, uh, you could predict. What the outcome would be of that system that you plug those measurements into using these yeah. formula, right? And,
0: and at the time, a lot of this was like, uh, planetary, like, well, we know that these planets are here and they're moving right. and they're orbiting. Yeah. So if we know these things, we can plug it into an equation and we can figure out what it's going to be like in a hundred years.
1: Exactly. And, and they, they figured out and the basis of determinism is what we just said that if you have accurate measurements you can take those measurements and use them to predict um how a system is going to change over time using differential equations right yeah so this is what this is what newton comes along and figures out that you can describe the universe in these mathematical terms using uh differential equations and um like you said there was a tremendous amount of hubris and Well, I I think you said there was some hubris. I think there was a tremendous amount of hubris where science basically said we've mastered the universe. We've uncovered the blueprint of the universe, and now we understand everything. It's just a matter now of getting our scientific measurements more and more and more exact. Yeah. Because, again, the hallmark of determinism is that if you have exact measurements, you can predict an outcome accurately. Like the the pool cue example or the, the pool table example, right?
0: Right. So if you've got a, a pool table, let's say you're playing some nine ball. Right. So you have that beautiful little diamond yeah, set up. you got your cue ball. You put that cue ball and you, you crack it with the cue. And if you are super accurate with your initial measurements, you should be able to mathematically plot out the uh, angles where the balls will end up.
1: Right, exactly. Like, you can say this is what the table will look like after the break. If you know the force, the angle, all those little variables.
0: temperature, if there's wind in the room. Like, the felt on the table. Like, everything. The more specific you are, the more accurate your end result will be.
1: Right. And then one of the other hallmarks of determinism is that if you take those exact same initial conditions and do them again, the table, the pool table, will look exactly the same after the break.
0: Yeah, which is... Pretty much impossible for like a human to do with their hands. Sure, but the idea uh, at the time
1: of science was that if you could build a perfect yeah. machine sure. that could recreate these conditions, it will happen the same way every time, right?
0: Yeah. And so- this, I mean, this led to, they had hubris, but you could understand it when like literally in 1846, two people predicted Neptune would exist. Yeah, within months Not would exist, but does exist. Right. And this is not by looking up in the sky. Like, Mm -hmm. they did it with math. Right. And they were right. Yeah. So, imagine in 1846, when that happens, they're like, yeah, we kind of, we've got the math down, so we're pretty much all-knowing. Well, plus also, for the most part, these,
1: not just with Neptune, they were finding um, that this stuff really panned out. It held true for everything from... Um, you know the investigation into electricity to new chemical reactions and understanding those yeah and it it laid the the scientific revolution laid the basis for the industrial revolution yeah and just the change that came out of the world like that it definitely there it is understandable how science kind of was like we got it all figured out
0: well and like you said they um even Galileo was smart enough to know there's uncertainty in these measurements like the precision is key so they spent uh what does the article say a lot of the much of the 19th and 20th century just trying to build better instrumentation to get more and more smaller and smaller and more precise measurements
1: right that was like basically the goal of it right yeah
0: which was the, the right direction that's like exactly what they should have been doing
1: yeah the problem is they like you said galileo knew that there was some sort of there there are going to be some flaws in measurement that we just didn't have those great scientific instruments yet right
0: yeah it's called the uncertainty principle okay it prohibits um, accuracy
1: right but the idea is that if you have a good enough instrument you can overcome that and that the the more you shrink the um error in measuring the initial conditions yeah the the more you're going to shrink the error in the outcome. Yeah. It'd be proportionate, right? They were correct. The thing is, they were also aware, but ignoring in a lot, in a lot of ways, some outstanding problems, specifically
0: something called the N body problem. Yeah. You know what? I'm so excited about this. I need to take a break. I think that's a good idea. I need to go check out my end body <laughs> in the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> and we'll be back
1: all right game off let's pause here to talk more about monopoly go because in monopoly go you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's
0: boards it's very nice that's right and the more you win together the more awesome prizes you unlock and there's so much to get That's right, there's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on.
1: All right, Chuck, we're back. So there's some, there's some issues, right, with determinism. There's some, some weird problems out there that are saying like, eh, hey, pay attention to me <laughs> because I'm not sure determinism works.
0: Right. And, uh, and
1: one, one is the end body problem.
0: Yeah, how this came about was uh, in 1885, there was uh, King Oscar number 2 of Sweden the and Sweden. Norway. Yeah. Don't want to leave out Norway, both. Uh he said, "You know what? Uh let's offer a prize to anyone who can prove the stability of the solar system." Yeah. Something that has been stable uh, for a long time before that. And a lot of the the most brilliant minds on planet Earth got together and tried to do this uh with mathematical proofs and no one could do it. Uh and then a dude named Henri, you got to help me there with that last
1: one. Ooh. Say the whole thing. Henri Poincaré.
0: Very nice. He was French, believe it or not. Uh, and he was a mathematician and he said, you know what? I'm not going to look at this big picture of all the planets and the sun and all their orbits.
1: You'd have to be a fool to try that.
0: Sure. He said, I'm going to shrink this down, like we talked about, shrinking that initial value. Right. You know? Yeah. And, um, that initial condition. And he shrunk it down. He said, I'm going to look at just a couple of bodies orbiting one another. Uh with a common center of gravity and I'm gonna look at this. And this was called the N body problem.
1: Yeah, which was smart to do because the more variables you factor into a um a nonlinear equation like that, the just the harder it's gonna be. So sure. he shrunk it down. So the N body problem has to do with three or more celestial bodies orbiting one another. So Poincaré said, Oh, I'll just start with three. Yeah. Smart. And what he found from doing his equations for this, this King Oscar, the sequel prize, um, was that shrinking the initial conditions, um, measurement or rate of error, right? Yeah. Did not really shrink the, the error in the outcome. Right. Which flies in the face of determinism. What he found was that just very, very minute differences in the initial conditions fed into a system. Yeah. Produced wildly different outcomes. Yeah. After a fairly short time.
0: Yeah, like let me just round off the mass of this planet at like the eighth decimal point. Right. And like, you know, who cares? Who cares? At that point. Yeah. Let me just round that one to a two. Right. And that would throw everything off at a, at a pretty high rate. Right. And he said, wait a minute, I think this contest is... Impossible.
1: Right, he said there is no way to pr- pr- to prove the stability of the solar system, because he just uncovered the idea that it's impossible for us to predict the um, the the rate of change yeah. among celestial bodies.
0: Yeah, it's such a complex system; there are far too many variables mm-hmm. that uh, it's impossible to. Start with something so minute to get the equation or whatever, the the sum that you want at right. the end. Well, not only well, that. not a sum, I guess, but the result.
1: Not only that, and this is what really undermined determinism, was that he figured out that you would have to have an infinitely precise measurement. Yeah. Which even if you built a perfect machine that could take the infinitely... Or a perfect machine that could take a measurement of like the, the, the movement of a celestial body around another. Yeah. You, it, it, it's literally impossible to get infinite, an infinitely precise measurement. Yeah. Which means that we could never predict out to a certain degree mm-hmm. the movement of these celestial bodies. Like he was saying like, no, you, you can't get you can't build a machine that, yeah. that gets measurements enough that we can overcome this. Like, determinism is wrong. Like, you can't just say uh, we have the understanding to predict everything. There's a lot of stuff out there that we're not able to predict. And he uncovered it trying to figure out this end body problem.
0: Yeah, and King uh, Oscar, the sequel, said, you win. Yeah. Bring me another rack of lamb and uh, here's your prize. Yeah. And he won by... Proving that it was impossible, which is pretty interesting,
1: and that utterly and completely changed not just math, but like our our, our understanding of the universe and our understanding of our understanding of the universe, which is even more kind of earth shaking.
0: Yeah, he discovered dynamical instability or chaos, and yeah. um, they didn't have supercomputers at the time, so it would be a little while, right? Uh, about seventy years at MIT until uh, we could actually kind of feed these things into machines capable of plotting these things out in a way that we could see. Right. Which was really incredible.
1: So there is this dude, um, 70 years later, uh, named, um, Edward Lorenz or Lorenz.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, we should set the stage. The reason this guy, he was a meteorologist and scientist. Right. Not that those are not the same thing. (laughs) Right. He's a scientist who dabbled in meteorology.
1: Right. Right. He was a mathematician.
0: Yeah, uh, but he was really into meteorology because it was a there was a weird juxtaposition at the time where we were sending people into outer space, but we couldn't predict the weather.
1: Yeah, and it was it was definitely a blot on the field of meteorology. Sure. people were like, "Do you guys know what you're doing?" Yeah, and and meteorologists are like, "You have no idea how hard this is." Yeah, like yeah, we can predict it a couple days out, but after that, it's just. It's totally unpredictable. It drives yeah. us mad. And it's not it wasn't just their um their reputations that were at stake. Like people were losing their lives because of it, right? Yeah, in
0: 1962 there were two notorious storms, uh, one on the east coast and one on the west. Uh the Ash Wednesday storm in the east and the Big Blow on the west that killed a lot of people, yeah. cost hundreds of millions of dollars in damage. Right. And people were like, "You know, we need to be able to see these things coming a little more." Right. Because it's A problem,
1: and meteorologists were like, "Why don't you do it then?"
0: (laughs) So they thought the key was these big supercomputers. Remember the supercomputers when Uh they came out—the big rooms full of hardware. Yeah, it was amazing, and they they were finally able to do like these incredible calculations that we could never do before.
1: I know they were able to like crunch sixty-four bytes a second.
0: Yeah, we had the abacus and then the supercomputer. (laughs) Right, there's nothing in between.
1: Um. I looked up the computer that Lawrence was working with. Was it the, A, the Whopper? A Royal McBee. What was the Whopper? War Games. Was it called the Whopper?
0: Yeah. W-O-P-R.
1: Right. I can't believe they called it that. I don't know. Pretty stupid. So the guy just nicknamed it Joshua?
0: No, Joshua was the... uh The software? Falcon was the, the old man who designed all this stuff, and his son was Joshua, and that was the password to get into Oh, the that system. was the password. Yeah.
1: I guess I I was too young to understand what a password was. Yeah. Okay.
0: You didn't even there weren't passwords at the time. No. And you just shouted
1: it at the computer, (laughs) and they're like, "Okay, access granted." Yeah.
0: Still, that movie holds up. Does it really? Oh, totally. Got to check it out. Yeah. Still very very fun. Young Ali Sheedy boy, I had a crush on her from that movie. (laughs) She was
1: great. Yeah. What else was she in recently? Wasn't she in something?
0: Well, I mean, she kind of went away for a while, and then had her big comeback with that indie movie, High Art. No, but that, that was, was a while a, ago.
1: Has she been in anything else recently?
0: Sure. I think I saw her in something, something recently, and I didn't realize that was her. I oh, was really? Like, she looks familiar. I was like, oh, that's Ali Sheedy. I don't know. All right. I could look it up, but I won't. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I, I still crush on her.
1: So the the uh, Royal McBee was... Not quite the whopper. You could actually sit down at it. The Royal McBee? That's the name of it. That sounds like a hamburger too. It was by the Royal Typewriter Company. And they got into computers for a second. And this is the kind of computer that Lawrence was working with. And it was a huge deal. Like you were saying, Abacus supercomputer. Yeah. Um, but it was still pretty dumb as far as what we have today is concerned. But it was enough that Lawrence was like Lawrence and his ilk. We're like finally, we can start running models and actually predict the weather.
0: Yeah, he started doing just that. He did. So he uh, started off with um, a computational model of twelve meteorological meteorological.
1: I liked how you said it.
0: Calculations, which is very basic, because they're infinite. Meteorological calculations, probably. Yeah. Depending. Did I say it wrong again? No, no,
1: <laughs> Like, you, it sounds like you're about to say it wrong, and then you pull it out at the last second. Maybe. It's really impressive.
0: But, uh, so that's very basic, but he wanted to start out, you know, with something attainable. Right. So he narrowed it down to 12 conditions, basically. 12 calculations that had, you know, temperature, wind speed, uh, pressure, s- stuff like that. Right. Started forecasting weather. Uh, and then he said, you know, it'd be great if you could see this. So I'm going to spit it into my wonder machine, the, the McWhopper. What the, was it? The
1: Royal McBee. The Royal
0: McBee. And I'm going to get a printout so you can visualize what this looks like. Right. So things were going well and he had this printout and everyone was amazed because these, these calculations never seemed to repeat themselves.
1: He was making like, um, like, like word art. You remember that? Like that was the first oh, yeah. thing anybody did on a computer. Oh yeah yeah was to make word art like a butterfly or something right
0: you would print out uh yeah, I never could do that. I couldn't either, like you have to be able to visualize things spatially that the, you have to have that right kind of brain for that,
1: right, or you have to be following a guidebook that well, tells you how to do it true uh have you ever seen uh me, you, and everyone we know
0: yeah, I love that movie.
1: that's a great movie, yeah for those little kids in there they were doing that,
0: oh yeah, yeah, the
1: forever back and forth poop.
0: Well, I haven't, I haven't seen that since it came out. It's been a while.
1: Oh, you gotta see it again. Yeah. Great movie.
0: Good movie. Is Ali Sheedy's not in it. No. It's, a uh, Miranda July. Right. And she like wrote and directed too, right? She did
1: a great job. <laughs> it, was, it was her It's show. like, it's one of those rare movies where like, there's just the right amount of whimsy. Cause whimsy so easily overpowers everything else and becomes like, yeah. bleh. Yeah, yeah. This is like the most perfectly balanced amount of like, Whimsy I've ever seen in a movie.
0: Yeah, if there's too much whimsy, I just like... Terrible. Garden State, I just want to punch it in the face.
1: Terrible. Although I like Garden State, but I haven't seen it since it came out.
0: It hasn't aged well. Yeah. It's just, when you look at it now, it's just so cutesy and whimsical. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh oh, come
1: on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Boy, we're getting to a lot of movies today. Oh, yeah, well, we're stalling. We haven't even talked about Butterfly Effect yet, which That's- is coming. <laughs> it is. I'm <laughs> dreading
1: it. That's why I'm stalling.
0: Uh, all right. So where were we? He was running his calculations, printing out his values so people could see it. And then he got a little lazy one day uh, in 1961. This output he noticed was interesting. Right. So he said, I- you know, I'm going to repeat this calculation, see it again. But I'm going to save time. I'm just going to kind of pick up in the middle. And uh, I'm not going to input as many numbers, but I'm still using the same values, just I'm not going out to six decimal points.
1: So the printout he had went to three decimal points. Yeah. So he was working from the printout and didn't take into account that the computer accepted six decimal points. So he was just putting in three. Correct. And expecting that the outcome would be the same, right?
0: Yes, but the outcome was way different. Right. And he went, whoa, whoa. What? Yeah. He's like, what's going on here? (laughs) It was a big deal. I mean, someone would have come up with this eventually probably. Yeah, he but sort it, of accidentally came upon it.
1: It's neat that this guy did this because it changed, um, his career. I think he went from, uh, emphasis on meteorology to an emphasis on chaos
0: math. To stud scientist.
1: Basically. <laughs> so I mean, the guy's got a, an attractor named after him. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, let's get to that.
1: So Lorenz starts looking at this and he's like, wait a minute. This is, this is weird. This is worth investigating. And like, uh, like, uh, what was his name? Poincaré? Yeah. He said, I need fewer variables. So I'm not going to try to predict weather with these 12 differential equations that you have to take into account. I'm just going to take one aspect of weather called the rolling convection current. And I'm going to see how I can write it down in formula form. So a rolling convection current, Chuck, is where, you know how the wind is created where air at the surface Yes. Is heated mm-hmm. and then starts to rise. Yeah. And suddenly cool air from higher above comes in to fill that, that vacuum that's yeah. left. And that creates a rolling, um, ho- or vertically based convection current.
0: Yeah. Okay. You could, I would describe it as oven.
1: Oven, boiling water.
0: Yeah. Cup of coffee. Sure. Wherever
1: there's a temperature differential, uh, based on a, a vertical alignment, you're going to have a rolling convection current, okay?
0: Yeah, it sounds complex, but he just picked out one thing, basically, one condition. Right. And this is the one he picked out.
1: But had you seen my hands moving, yes. listeners, you would be like, oh, well, yeah, I know what you're for talking for
0: about. Sure, he made little roly <laughs> motions.
1: So um, he he's like, okay, I can figure this out. So he he comes up with three three formulae that kind of describe a rolling convection current. And he starts trying to figure out how to describe this rolling convection current, right? Correct. And so, like I said, he got this these three formula, which were basically three variables that he, he calculated over time. And he plugged them in, and he found three variables that changed over time. Mm-hmm. And he found that after a certain point, when you graph these things out, and since they're three, you graph them out on a three-dimensional
0: graph, so X, yeah. Y, and Z. Again, he wanted to just be able to visualize this. Right. Because it's easier for people to understand.
1: He was a very visual guy. Totally. All of a sudden it made this crazy graph that where the, the line as it progressed forward through time went all over the place. It went from this axis to another axis to the other axis and it would spend some time over here and then it would suddenly loop over to the other one and it followed no rhyme or reason. It never retraced its path and it was describing how a convection current changes over time, right? Yeah. And Lorenz is looking at this, he was expecting these three things to equalize and eventually form a line. Yeah. Because that's what determinism says. Things are going to fall into a certain amount of equilibrium and just even out over time. That is not what he found. No. And what he discovered was what Poincaré discovered, which was that some systems, even relatively simple systems, Exhibit very complex, unpredictable behavior which you could call chaos.
0: Yeah, and when you say things were going all over, like if you look at the graph, it, it it's not just lines going in straight lines bouncing all over the place randomly. Like right. there was an order to it, but the lines were not on top of one another. Like let's say you draw a figure eight with your pencil uh-huh. and then you continue drawing that figure eight, it's gonna slip outside those curves right. every time unless you're a robot. Sure. Um and that's what it ended up looking like.
1: Yeah, yeah, it never retraced the same path twice, ever. Um it, it had a lot of really surprising properties, and at the time it just fell completely outside the understanding of science, right? Yeah. Luckily this happened to Lawrence, who was curious enough to be like what is going on here? And uh, again, he sat down and started to do the math and thinking about this and especially how it applied to the weather, right? Yeah. And he came up with something very famous,
0: yes, the butterfly effect, yes, uh a this thing kind of looked like butterfly wings a little bit, yeah, uh and b when he went to present his findings he he basically had the notion he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna wow these people in the crowd in nineteen seventy two It's a conference that I'm going <laughs> to, and i'm gonna I'm gonna say something like you know. The seagull flaps its wings and it starts a small turbulence that can one that can affect weather on the other side of the world. Right. The small little thing will just grow and grow and snowball and affect things. And he had a colleague who was like, eh, seagull wings. That's nice. (laughs) Right. And he said, how about this? And this is the title they ended up with. Predictability, colon, does the flap of a butterfly's wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas And everyone was like, whoa, whoa, mind's blown. Yeah. Should we take a break? Yes. All right. We'll be right back.
1: All right. Game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go, because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards.
0: All right, so the Lorenz attractor uh, is that picture that he ended up with, right? That called the Lorenz attractor, and this biblical pattern website (laughs) that I found described attractors and strange attractors in a way that even dumb old me could understand. What you got? So, if I may. He says, all right, here's the cycle of chaos. He said, uh, actually, uh, I don't know who wrote this. Could have um, been a woman, could have been a small child. Could have been Noah. Of undetermined gender. I have no idea. So the
1: gender neutral
0: narrator. <laughs> they said, he said, all right, think about a town uh, that has like 10,000 people living in it. To make that town work, you got to have like a gas station, a grocery store, uh a library, um, whatever you need to sustain that town. Okay. So all these things are built. Everyone's happy. You have equilibrium. He said, so that's great. Then let's say you build some, someone comes and builds a factory uh, on the outskirts of that town, and there's going to be 10,000 more people living there.
1: Right, and they don't go to church.
0: <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> uh, did I say church? They needed a church? No, no. Oh, okay.
1: I was just assuming this is what's going oh, to break website. the equilibrium. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> But you just have more people, so there's uh you need another gas station and another grocery store, let's say. Uh-huh. So they build all these things, and then you reach equilibrium. Again, it's maintained because you build all these other systems up. I see. That equilibrium is called an attractor. Okay. So then he said, it said, they said. <laughs> <laughs> he, capital he. The royal he said. Uh, alright, now let's say instead of that, that factory being built, you, and you had those original 10,000, let's say 3,000 of those people just up and leave one day. Okay. And the grocery store guy says, well, there's only 7,000 people here, we need 8,000 people living here to, to make a profit. So I'm shutting down this grocery store.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then all of a sudden you have demand for groceries. So things go on for a little while and someone comes in and say, hey, this town needs a grocery store. They build a grocery store. Right. They can't sustain. They shut down. Someone else comes along because of the demand. And it is this search for equilibrium, this dynamic. Well, you reach equilibrium here and there as the store opens. Periods of stability. Periods of stability. And that dynamic equilibrium is called a strange attractor. So an attractor is the state which a system settles on. strange attractor is the trajectory on which it... Never settles down, but tries to reach the equilibrium with periods of stability. Man. Does that make sense?
1: That Bible-based explanation was dynamite. <laughs> I understand it better than I did before. And I understood it okay before.
0: That's great. Surely you can add. Yeah? Yeah. No, you're gonna add to it? No. That's it?
1: No, I mean, like, it, 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 yeah, an attractor is where if you graph something and, Eventually, it reaches equilibrium. It's a regular attractor. If it never reaches equilibrium, it is constantly trying to and has periods of stability. Strange attractor. I can't, I can't top that. All right. Grocery store, small town. That was great. So, um, Lorenz's strange attractor was named a Lorenz attractor. Named yeah. after him.
0: Big deal. They weren't using the word chaos yet.
1: No, but he published that paper about butterfly wings, right? Yeah. The butterfly effect. And, it coupled with his picture his, the picture of a strange attractor which is almost the aside from fractals almost the um, <laughs> the yeah the um emblem or the logo for chaos theory the Lorenz yeah. attractor is um it got attention Off the bat. It wasn't like Poincaré's findings where he got neglected for 70 years. Almost immediately, everybody was talking about this. Because, again, what Lorenz had uncovered, which is the same thing that Poincaré had uncovered, is that determinism is possibly... Uh, based on uh, an illusion yeah. that the universe isn't stable, that the universe isn't predictable, and that what we are seeing a- as stable and predictable are these little periods, yeah. windows of stability, that are found in strange attractor graphs. Yeah. That that's what we think the order of the universe is, but that that is actually the um abnormal aspect of the universe. Right. And that instability, unpredictability, as far as we're concerned, is the actual state of affairs in in nature? Yeah, and I think as far as we're concerned, is a really important point too, Chuck, because it doesn't mean that nature is unstable, right? Chaotic. It means that our picture of what we understand as order doesn't jibe with how the universe actually functions. Yeah, it's just our understanding of it. Yeah, and we're just so um, anthropocentric that you know. We we see it as chaos and disorder and something to be feared. Right. When really it's just complexity that we don't have the capability of predicting. Yeah. Uh, uh, after a certain degree.
0: Yeah. I think that makes me feel a little better because when you read stuff like this, you start to feel like, well, the earth could just throw us all off of its face at any moment because it starts spinning so yeah. fast that gravity becomes undone. And well, I know that's not right, by the way.
1: <laughs> I've always loved that kind of science that shows we don't know anything like Robert, yeah. Robert, Hume, who I know, I understand was a philosopher, but he was a philosopher scientist. Sure. Um, his whole jam was like, cause and effect is an illusion. That like we all, we, it's, it's just an assumption, like that if you drop a pencil, it will always fall down. It's yeah. an illusion. And this is pre, um, gravity, understanding sure. gravity, but he, he makes a good it's point. Pre-gravity when everyone's just floating around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going, this pencil's got me wacky. Yeah. But, but the point was that, you know, we, we are, we base a lot of our assumptions, um, or a lot of stuff that we take as law, are actually based on assumptions that yeah. are made from observations over time, yeah. and that we're just making predictions that cause and effect is an illusion. I love that guy. Pretty and cool. this this definitely supports that idea. For sure. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm excited about chaos theory. Can no, you believe I
0: like it. it? Well, I mean, I like that I've, I'm able to understand it in enough of a rudimentary way that I can Talk about it at a dinner party.
1: Well, thank your Bible website. <laughs> well, once you take the formulas out yeah. for people like us, we're like, oh, okay, we can understand chaos. Yeah. Then when somebody says, good, do a differential equation, you're just like, what?
0: A what? A different equation? <laughs> you're right. All right. So earlier I said that chaos had not been used, the word chaos, to describe all this junk. Right. Uh, and that didn't happen until uh, later on. And Well, actually... 70s, later on. About 10 years. Yeah, you know, but it was kind of at the same time this other stuff was going on with uh, Lorenz. Yeah. Late 60s, early 70s. There was a guy named Stephen Smale, uh, Fields Medal recipient. So, you know, he's good at math. And um he described something that we now know as the Smale horseshoe. And it goes a little something like this. Boom, <laughs> boom. Uh, so alright, take a piece of, uh, dough, like, like bread dough. Okay. And you, you smash it out into a big flat rectangle. Can do. So you're looking at that thing and you're like, boy, I hope this makes some good bread. This is gonna be so good. So then you Put just- Put a little rosemary on it? Yeah, maybe so. Uh, Olive oil? Sea salt?
1: Yeah, and then, um, lick it before you <laughs> bake it so you know it's yours. <laughs> no one else can have it.
0: Uh, so you, you have that flat rectangle of dough, you roll it up, into a, uh, a, a tube and then you smash that down kind of flat and then you bend that down to where it eventually looks like a horseshoe. Okay. So now you take that horseshoe, you take another rectangle of dough uh-huh. and you throw that horseshoe onto that and then you do the same thing. The Smail Horseshoe basically says you cannot predict where the two points of that horseshoe will end up. Yeah. You can roll it a million times and it'll end up in a million different places, totally random different places too. Totally random. You never know. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> you have to say it, and that became known. You have to say it. Oh, I, what imitate Forrest Gump? Sure. No, I can't do that. That's fine. He's not one. He's not in my repertoire. That's fine. Although I did see that again, part of it recently. Does it hold up? Well, I mean, take out 40 minutes of it, and it would have been a better movie. Oh, yeah. Like all of that coincidence stuff that oh oh, I love that I thought that was so charming and he also did the smile t-shirt like it was just too much like he really hammered it too much
1: (laughs) I I liked it (laughs) that was the basis of the movie
0: I know but see it again and I guarantee you like an hour and a half into it you'll be like I get it (laughs) Zemeckis
1: you know know it was a good Tom Hanks movie that was overlooked Uh, Road to Perdition
0: yeah not bad This was a good one Great Sam Mendes
1: oh man that guy's awesome
0: yeah oh what is he gonna do he might do something he did the James Bond he did Skyfall yeah yeah no he's gonna and also do that last one that wasn't so great he's
1: got a potential project coming up and he would be amazing for it and I don't remember what it
0: was did you see Revolutionary Road yes god have <laughs> How... it was just like yeah you want to jump off a bridge yeah see that movie like every five minutes during that movie that was hardcore it is uh he
1: did that one too, huh?
0: Yeah, and don't see that if you're like engaged to be married or thinking about it.
1: Yeah, or if you're blue already. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just take a really good good mood and be like, I'm sick of being in a good mood. Sit yeah. down and watch Revolutionary Road. Yeah.
0: Watch Joe vs. the Volcano instead.
1: Great movie.
0: Uh where was I? Smail Horseshoe is what that's called. And um that was he was the first person to actually use the word chaos. Oh he was? I think so. Oh, no, no, no.
1: York was. Tom York's dad.
0: Yeah, you're right. He wasn't the first person. You're correct.
1: But Smail's Horseshoe illustrates a really good point, Chuck. Is it Tom York's dad?
0: No. Oh, okay.
1: No, but they're both British.
0: Sure. Yorkies.
1: Actually, one's Australian. No, they're British. All right. Um, So uh, those two points... Which should, which started out right by each other, yeah, and then the end horseshoe. up in two to, totally different places. Yeah, that applies not just to bread dough, but also to things like uh, water <laughs> molecules. Yeah, that are right next to each other at some point, and then a uh, month later, they're in two different oceans. Yeah, even though you would assume that they would go through all the same motions and everything. Oh sure. But they're not. There's so many different variables with things like ocean currents that uh, two water molecules that were once side by side end up in. Totally random different places. Yeah. And that's part of chaos. It's basically chaos personified. Yeah. Or chaos molecule
0: <laughs> So we mentioned York, uh, where I was going with that was, um, there was an Australian named Robert May and he was a population biologist. Yeah. So he was using math to model how animal populations would change over time, giving certain starting conditions. Uh, so he started using uh, these equations, these differential equations, and he came up with a formula known as the logistic difference equation that basically enabled him to predict these animal populations pretty well.
1: Yeah, and it, it was working pretty well for a while, but he noticed something really, really weird, right? Yeah. He had this formula, um, the logistic difference equation yeah. is the name of it. Sure. Okay, so he had that formula, and... He figured out that if you took R, which in this case was the reproductive rate of a animal population. Yeah. And you pushed it past three. The number three. So that meant that the average animal in this population of animals had three offspring in yeah. its lifetime or in a season, whatever. Yeah. If you pushed it past three, all of a sudden the number of the population would Diverge.
0: Yeah, if you pushed it equal to three, actually, or more.
1: Right. It would diverge. Yeah. Which is weird because a population of animals can't be two different numbers, you know? Like that herd of antelope is not, there's not 30, but there's also 45 of them at the same time. Yeah. That's called a superposition, and that has to do with quantum states, not uh, uh, herds of antelopes. Sure. Th- that was kind of weird. And then he found if you pushed it a little further, if you made the reproductive rate like 3.057 or something like that. I think it was a different number. But you just tweaked it a little bit. Not even to four. We're talking like. Oh yeah. Millions of a, of a, um, of a degree. Uh huh. Um, it, all of a sudden it would turn into four. So there'd be four different numbers for that was the animal population. And then it would turn into 16. And then all of a sudden, after a certain point, it would turn into chaos. Yes. The number would be everything at once, all over the place, just totally random numbers that it oscillated between.
0: Yeah, but in all that chaos, there would be periods of stability.
1: Right. You push it a little further, and all of a sudden, it would just go to two again. Yeah. But beyond that, it didn't go back to the original two numbers. It went to another two. So if you looked at it on a graph, it went line... Divided into two, divided into four, eight, sixteen, chaos, two, four, sixteen, yeah. two, four, eight, sixteen, chaos. Yeah. All before you even got to the number four of the reproductive, right?
0: Yeah, and he was working with Mr. York, because he was a little confounded, so he was a mathematician buddy of his, uh, James York from the University of Maryland. So they worked together on this, and in 1975, they co-authored uh, a paper mm-hmm. called Period Three Implies Chaos. And man, finally, finally somebody said the word. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking it was all these other people.
1: Yeah. And the, this, this paper where they first debuted the, the name chaos. Um, they, they based it, um, Tom York's dad based it on Edward Lawrence's paper. Yeah. He was like, you know what? I have a feeling this has something to do with the Lawrence attractor. So that, um, that, that provided chaos to the world. And it, it was the, Basically, the third, uh, the third time, a scientist had said, mm, "We don't understand the universe like we think we do," yeah. And determinism is based on an illusion. Like, don't of, you get it? Of order, yeah. In a really chaotic universe, and this uh, this established chaos it took off like a rocket in the eighties and the nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know from Jurassic Park. Chaos was everything. Everybody was like, chaos. This is totally awesome. It's the new frontier of science. Yeah. And then it just went, it just went away. And a lot of people said, well, uh, it, it was a little overhyped. But I think more than anything, and I think this is kind of the current understanding of chaos because it didn't actually go away. It became a deeper and deeper field, yeah. as you'll see. Um, people mistook what chaos meant. It wasn't the, a new, The new type of science. Yeah. It was a new understanding of the universe. It was saying, like, yes, you can still use Newtonian physics.
0: Yeah, like, don't throw everything out the window. No. You can still try and predict weather and still try and build more accurate instruments. Right. And get, you know, decent results. But you can't, with absolute perfection, 100% predict complex systems.
1: Like, determinism, the, the ultimate goal of determinism is false. It can never be it can never be done yeah. because we can't have an infinitely precise measurement for every variable or any variable therefore we can't predict these outcomes right so you would expect science to be like what's the point yeah what's the point of anything no not science well some some chaos people have said no this is this is great this is good we'll take this we'll take the universe as it is rather than trying to force it into our pretty little equations uh-huh. And saying like, uh, if the ocean temperature is this at this time of year, uh, and the fish population is this at that time, then this is how many offspring this fish stock, this fish population is going to have. Yeah. Um, say, okay, here is the fish population. Here is the ocean temperature. Here are all these other variables. Let's feed it into a model and see what happens. Not this is going to happen. Right. What happens instead? And this is kind of the understanding of chaos theory now. It's taking raw data, as much data as you can possibly get your hands on, as precise data as you can possibly get your hands on, yeah. and just feeding it into a model and seeing what patterns emerge. Rather than making assumptions, it's saying, what's the outcome? What comes out of this model?
0: Yeah, and that's why, like, when you see things like, you know, 50 years ago, they predicted this animal would be extinct and it's not Well, that's because the variations were too complex. Right. They tried to predict. Uh, and that's why if you look at a, a 10 day forecast, Uh you sir are a fool. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's true. Well, 10 days from now it says it's going to rain in the afternoon. Come on. But if you
1: take, if you took enough variables for weather for like a city and fed it into a model of the weather for that city, you could find, uh, you could find uh, a time when it was similar to what it is now, yeah. and you could conceivably make some assumptions based on that. You can say, "Well, actually, we can we can predict a little further out than we think," but um, it's it's based on this this theory, this understanding of chaos, of unpredictability, of not just not forcing nature into our formulas, yeah. but Putting data into a model and seeing what comes out of it.
0: Yeah, and then at the end of that, you learn, like, when that animal is not extinct, uh, like you thought it would be, you go back and look at the original thing, and you have a more accurate picture of how the, you know, data could have been off slightly. Yeah. This one value. Right. And then you have more buffalo than you think. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You got buffaloed by chaos.
0: <laughs> and we're not even getting into fractals. It's a whole other thing. And we did a whole other podcast. Yeah. In June 2012 about fractals and the Mandel, Benoit Mandelbrot. Yeah. Mandelbrot? Mandelbrot. Yeah. And, uh, go listen to that one and hear me clinging to the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Clift?
1: Man, I, we, we should end this. <laughs> but first, um, I want to say, There is a really interesting article, it's pretty understandable, on Quanta Magazine uh, about a guy named George uh, Sugihara, Mm -hmm. and he is a chaos theory dude who's got a whole lab and is applying it to real life. So it's a really good picture of chaos theory in action. Go check it out. Oof. Okay. Uh, If you want to know more about chaos theory hope your brain's not broken. Yeah,
0: go take some LSD. (laughs) And look at fractals. Don't do that.
1: Um, You can type those words into how stuff works in the search bar. Any of those, fractals, LSD, chaos. It'll bring up some good stuff. And since I said good stuff, it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, I'm going to call this rare shout out. You get requests all the time. I'll
1: bet I know which one this is. is. Really? Yeah.
0: Dude and his girlfriend? Yeah? No?
1: So far, so good.
0: (laughs) Hey, guys. Just wanted to say I think you're doing a wonderful job with the show uh, to this date. Uh, My first time listening was during my first deployment. uh, Yes. When When I listened to your list on famous and influential films, I was hooked after that. Since I came back stateside, I've spent many hours driving to and fro uh, to see my girlfriend uh, to my barracks. And I can happily say that they've been made all the more enjoyable by listening to you guys. Uh, Even my girlfriend Rachel has warmed up to you dudes uh, Which was not a pleasant I'm sorry, which was a pleasant shock to me She has told me repeatedly that she Cannot listen to audiobooks Because, quote, hearing people talk On the radio gives me a headache End quote Anyway, I hope you guys continue to make awesome podcasts As I'm headed out on my next deployment And if you could give a shout out to Rachel I'm sure it would make her feel a little better That I got the pleasant people on the podcast To reaffirm how much I love her that is John. Rachel, hang in there. John, be safe. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, man, thank you. That was a great email. I love that one. Glad we don't give you a headache, Rachel. Yeah, for real. She listens to this, song. And she's like, oh. Bro.
1: Oh, yeah. Everybody's going to get a headache from this one. Like, I, I came to hate the sound of my own voice from this one. Ah, uh, you'll be all right. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us, you can hang out with us on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. Same goes for Instagram. You can hang out with us on Facebook.com slash StuffYouShouldKnow. You can send us an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty and have unique experiences